You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, this is Chrissy Beltran and I am so excited to share this episode of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast with you today. Today we're talking about developing curriculum with teams of teachers or in PLCs. So anybody who's listened to this podcast or worked through my course, The Confident Literacy Coach, knows that when I started coaching, I was anything but confident in planning with my PLCs. I loved to plan by myself or with my colleagues when I was a teacher, but when I was planning PLCs in a new school with teachers I didn't know, it really felt like we were speaking a different language. We were, not just commun- we were just not communicating well at all, and I hadn't figured out how to facilitate such diverse groups with different backgrounds purposefully. So things got a lot better once we established norms, expectations, and a process. But if you're going through that now, if you're in the frustrated stage or the overwhelmed stage, or if you're ready to try something new, I really want you to listen today to my conversa- conversation with Crystal Cherisani of The Sparkly Notebook. Thank you so much for being here, Crystal. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here too. And I want to make sure that I did say your name correctly this time because I know I've introduced you incorrectly before. Is it Cherisani? Is that right? Cherisani. Okay. I listened very carefully last time and I was like, (laughs) oh, I got it wrong. So I want to make sure I say it right. (laughs) I've been introduced. It is a hard one. I had to learn it too. (laughs) (laughs) It's not hard. It's just... I just didn't know how to say it. Like, like I have been introduced incorrectly so many times. People call me Christy or, you know, mostly Christy. Um, and they spell my name wrong and that just really irritates me. So I try to try to do right by other people. <laughs> um, so can you introduce yourself to any of my listeners who don't know who you are and maybe tell us a little bit about your educational background? Of course. So I'm Crystal Cherisani. I am from the South in Georgia. You will notice my little Southern twang. I try to... <laughs> hide it, but it sneaks out. Um, I have been in education for going into my 12th year. Seven years of that, I taught middle grades English. So I taught seventh grade for six years and eighth grade for one year. And then I became an instructional coach. Um, I moved out of my county to a different county, an instructional coach for two years. Then I came back to my current county and am an instructional coach slash RTI teacher. So I do a little bit on the intervention side as well now, but I've done most of my stuff with curriculum and I do a lot of the curriculum countywide at our board office at the board level with our curriculum director. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So then you're primarily working with middle school teachers right now? Uh, Actually, I'm at fourth through sixth grade now. So I'm kind of upper elementary Mm -hmm. through lower middle. Okay. But whenever I'm working at the board office, I work with all the different grade levels up through eighth grade. So K through eight teachers walking them through this process. Well, that's exciting because, and you get to do, it's kind of nice because you get to see a lot of different content instead of working with the same stuff over and over again, there's a nice variety and you get to see how, how things support other things. As you move up in grade levels, you see how the content grows and that's always really nice. Yes. That has been very eye opening for me, especially you know, I, I always tell the teachers that I taught seventh and eighth grade English, and it is so mind-blowing for me to look at the fourth grade standards and to see how much they parallel to seventh grade. Right. And it helps me, that vertical side of me is like, if I had known 
right. when I was teaching that they started learning this in fourth grade mm-hmm. or third grade, then it would be very different now. Mm-hmm. So we try to keep that concept of vertical planning present because it's, and that's helped open my eyes to what I needed to know when I was in the classroom. Yes, absolutely. Like letting teachers see how those standards change, you know, over time is really valuable. Hey coaches, I'm just going to pop in here really fast because I want to share something with you that I am so excited about. My course for elementary literacy coaches, The Confident Literacy Coach, is live. It's up and running and you can get access to it right now. So here's the deal. When I started out as a coach, I struggled. I had trouble defining my role and communicating it with teachers and administration. And I honestly didn't even know that was something I was going to have to do. I dreaded PLC days because getting my teachers to collaborate, to speak the same language and create lesson plans together was a total nightmare. And I was so stressed out by modeling and co-teaching in classrooms that I actually avoided it for a long time. It was not a happy time for me, (laughs) but things got so much better. I figured out processes to help my teams of teachers work together. I focused on best practices in reading and writing and identified some high impact strategies to support alignment on my campus. And I began to spend more time in classrooms after I planned thoroughly with teachers before lessons. Basically, I started coaching with confidence. I've collected all the processes and tools that I used to do this work and I've put it all together in one place so you can coach with confidence too. The Confident Literacy Coach is your one-stop shop for everything literacy coaching in elementary school. You'll learn how to define your role and communicate it to your administrator, what best practices you should spend your time on, and my process for collaborative planning, plus so much more that will take your coaching life from frustrated and overwhelmed to effective and confident. You can check it out at Buzzing with Miss. Just click the Confident Literacy Coach at the bottom of the latest post and you'll learn exactly what's in the course and why it will change your coaching for the better. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, so what needs to be in place? We're going to talk a little bit about collaborative planning today. Um, So what needs to be in place in order to be ready for a collaborative planning session? So the first thing that you want to have is the collaborative culture. Mm -hmm. I think that that is number one is you've got to get a school or get your team set up to where that collaboration is key and vital. So I think that's the number one thing. And then moving from there, you've got to have very clear expectations of what you want the curriculum to be. If you have certain assessments they have to give, certain things they have to do through their units, you need to make sure you have all of that stuff up front so when they're planning, it's not later and they're like scurrying like, oh yeah, I forgot, I need to do this. Oh yes. setting those meeting norms and having your agendas ready. Like this is what we're doing, especially if you're having like a set planning session, Mm -hmm. having that, here's what we're doing today. And here's the agenda that's going to walk you through the process to accomplish this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally, I'm in agreement with all of that. Um, Having the, those expectations clear and the routines clear are so, it's so important because you do, you know, for a long time, it takes people a while to get adjusted to that. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, you'll have people showing up just with nothing but their own glorious selves. (laughs) You're like, well, were you going to like write anything down or contribute anything today? You know, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe have an idea of something you could teach or, you know, yeah, exactly. And so whenever people know what the routine is, then you can hold them accountable for being prepared. But if you're just like springing stuff on them, you really can't hold anybody accountable because there's no preparation for that. They can't be prepared for something they don't know about. (laughs) Absolutely. And giving them that ahead of time too. So like before the planning session, when you come, you're going to need these things. 
so they can come prepared and let them kind of know this is what we're doing. So any extra resources you have that will help you with this process, make sure you bring those. Don't come empty handed. Absolutely. And you do kind of move through those phases. Like the first phase is people show up with nothing and think it's fine. And then the next phase is they show up with nothing, but they apologize. (laughs) And then the next phase is they show up with nothing, but they go, oh my gosh. And they run back to their rooms and they get it. And that's an improvement. And then eventually you hope to get to the phase where everybody shows up with their stuff and then they actually use it. Right. (laughs) So um, what are some of the logistics of your planning sessions? Because every school looks different when it comes to collaborative planning. Like sometimes coaches are not even present or sometimes they're present, but the coach, you know, sits back in a corner and everybody does the work and the coach is there to support, but do they really have, like, do they contribute? Not necessarily. Um, So like, how often do you meet? You know, where do you meet? Those kinds of things. So as far as like big lessons, like unit planning, Um, pacing guide planning assessment planning Mm -hmm. our county has two layers of it so one is we do a board meeting our board level so we have one representative from every grade level and subject come on a certain day to work on unit plans so that it's kind of parallel across the system interesting that doesn't mean that they're teaching the exact same stuff like using the same materials, but they are following the same pacing mm-hmm. and using the same assessment so that we can, you know, A, compare, and then B, we have a lot of students who move around within the system. Yeah. And so it helps, you know, in things like that as well. And then we also have in-house planning sessions, which is going to be more of your, in your school with your people. Mm-hmm. So we, the way we've got it set up is we have our board level ones once a quarter, and you'll pick your, usually it's like your lead teacher mm-hmm. and they will come and meet. And it is like my role as an instructional coach, we don't have many in our county. So it's me, one other one who works mostly with K3. And then we have our curriculum director for the county. So the three of us kind of put on these days. And at these planning days, we'll do like a little mini, maybe a mini lesson on DOK levels and looking at the rigor and kind of going over the clear expectations of what we want from them and then guide them through the process kind of doing time checks and each of us will take a group a table that we'll sit with and we'll help plan with them that way and that's how we write our units and our pacing guides and that's how we did our summative like benchmark assessments for this year and we're hoping next year to be a well, now things are going to look different. But our goal was for next year to be more of a focus on um, formative assessments and the resources, kind of sharing that. Um, and then after we have that quarterly meeting, we'll go back to our school and in-house have a meeting where I will, A, the teachers will, I say I, the teachers will re-deliver any um, pacing guide things they came up with and they'll nail down their curriculum using that. Mm-hmm. and kind of looking at the assessment and looking at the rigor and things like that. So it's very structured. This is our first year doing it. It's been highly successful, but very structured. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting um, because, I mean, it's it's always fascinating to me how different different systems are within the same, I mean, we're in the same country, you know, <laughs> and we are just all over the place as far as the way we structure things and fund things. And so just I'll share the way 
our, our um, collaborative planning look just to give people an idea of some of the differences because everybody's going to be in a different place. Um, where we, where I live, we call our, like our main offices districts because in one County we have lots of districts and um, it's like El Paso County has at least three big districts and then a bunch of little ones, you know, in the same area. So my district specifically would provide a planning tool. They used to create it themselves. I used to serve on that committee where we created like a scope and sequence for each grade level. And then um, there's also one that they've invested in recently that comes from the state because of our state standards are so very particular in Texas because we never buy into anything anybody else does. We always have to <laughs> reinvent the wheel here. Um, so we do not do common core, even though some of our standards may look similar to that. Um, Texas is very anti-common core. So we um, use the TEKS. And so there's a state guide for that um, that's created in the TEKS resource system. And so our district does follow that um, as far as pacing goes. But then within that, you have your own curriculum that you're writing, right? I mean, what, what you teach doesn't tell you anything about how you teach it or what it looks like or, you know. So the, the district would create assessments um, at the, for the end of every unit. And then at our campus, we actually realized those assessments were not telling us a lot about kids' preparation towards our state test. And that was not our only goal, but that was something we needed to know about. Mm -hmm. And so we would create our own assessments. So by the end of the, we created assessments for each main chunk of, of units. I mean, it wasn't one for every single unit, but it was really by genre is how we did it because our standards were written by genre in reading. So we created our own assessments and we had them copied over the summer so that they would be ready for the next year. So then we would just pull them out and plan using those because once we had them created and we thought they were really good, you know, we were prepared to reuse them because our, our standards didn't change and our tests didn't change for a few years. Um, now it's all different. So all that's out the window, right? <laughs> Everything changed. All of our standards were revamped a couple years ago. So everybody started over. Um, but what we did on our camp at our campus level, because we didn't really do district planning per se, the district was aligned in terms of the scope and sequence, but I mean, it's a huge, I don't know how, how many schools are in your, your County. We are small. We are, okay. there are seven schools. Okay. There are seven high schools in, in my um, oh. County or my district. So yeah, <laughs> so it's a little, a little different. So we have like, I think it's like 50 schools in the district, something like that. I don't know. My husband knows he used to have to drive to every single one of them in his job, but I always, it's between 45 and 65. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so we don't really do our alignment. It's probably not near as tight because it was so, so big. Right. Um, so instead at the campus level, we did very tight planning. And so I would meet with, we had PLC every Tuesday and PLC is what we did for, um, that was the time frame that we used for collaborative planning. Uh, so we would do a 90 minute block with each grade level. So one day, one Tuesday, I would have K24 and my colleague who is a math and science counterpart, every school has in that district has two instructional coaches, a literacy one and a math and science one. So I had um, K24 and then my counterpart would have 135. So we were responsible for putting together two weeks of plans that would carry us through until we met again. So I would plan for two weeks, he would plan with, with the teachers for two weeks and then the next week we would flip the grade levels. So then I'd have 135, he'd have K24. So then they were always planning for two weeks for each unit, which was hard. I mean, it's a lot because we planned in a lot of detail, especially at the beginning because we we're trying to work on alignment and support teachers who maybe hadn't used a lot of strategies before. 
Um, and PLC was such a bear. I mean, I, in my, whenever I introduced this topic, I was sincere. It was a very stressful thing for me at first. Cause we were just my coming philosophically. We were just not even in the same world. Uh, that was rough, <laughs> but, um, but that routine did help us get established. Like you're saying, having that routine, having the consistent ex expectations and the norms and knowing it's coming back around on Tuesday, guys, you are going to be coming back here. This is how we do it. Every time this is what we do. You need to be prepared. And this is, and if we make the best of this time, you can walk away prepared. You can walk away ready. If we don't use this time well, then you, you're not ready, you know? So after a while, teachers got to where they were like, when are we you know, like around the holidays, like whenever, like a break, whenever we have a break in December, sometimes PLC would be canceled if there was a short week or something like that. And they were like, well, we need to plan for an extra week because we need to be ready. And by, and at that point I felt good about it, but you know, at first it was rough <laughs> getting people on board with that. Um, so what are some of the norms and expectations? Oh, and in case people want to know, we did have coverage for classrooms for the extra 45 minutes. So in Texas, there's a minimum expectation of how long kids go to PE throughout the week. People divide that in different ways. Most schools will do 45 minutes a day because teachers are also required to have a 45 minute planning period every day um, by the union. That's something the union has been able to accomplish <laughs> despite our inability. We are not allowed to strike in Texas. You strike, you lose your job. So um, they, I mean, if you don't show up to work, it's a, a what, what is it? A right to work state? Right that to, means we are too. Okay. We are yeah. in Georgia as well. And we don't oh. have a union. So. <laughs> and you what? Sorry? We don't have a union. Oh, you don't have a union. Yeah. See, everybody's so different, right? So that is something that the union did guarantee is a 45 minute um, planning period every day. So if teachers have that planning period we could use to get together to plan. But then for the other 45 minutes, we provided coverage through a rotation of special teachers. And so that was like um, the librarian, the technology coordinator, who else? The counselor did something. Um, the home liaison, because we had a home liaison as well to serve special populations of kids. Um, we also had somebody come in from, um, like a special teacher that was hired just for Tuesdays who would have a schedule of covering one class throughout the day with our larger grade levels that had like six or seven classes in them. Um, so when, it, with the smaller grade levels, we didn't have to do that, but we did need it for the bigger groups. So that's kind of how we, we covered those, um, groups of kids in case anybody's wondering how we found 90 minutes <laughs> to plan together every week. So what are some of the norms and expectations that have worked for your teams? So kind of going back to the last question really quick though, I will say mm -hmm. that kind of what I described was more of our big planning days. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this past year, our county, like it was fun because moving from the middle school to elementary school opened my eyes to how different the curriculum is run. Mm -hmm. So at the middle school, we only had one middle school. So we were able to kind of plan our own curriculum and had total, you know, power over what we were doing. Right. And at the elementary level, because there were multiple schools that didn't work that way. So mm -hmm. the process that I described to you before is it was one of those where I started looking at the pacing guides and realizing how outdated they were. Oh yeah. And how like pacing guides really can be what holds back a curriculum mm -hmm. because if I'm handed a pacing guide when I get my job and I'm not told I can make any changes to it yes then it becomes a the way things have always been done mm -hmm. and so this year that our goal this past year was to empower our teachers in saying 
guys, these pacing guides are yours. You can make these changes mm-hmm. and walking them through that process. So those were our big planning sessions for that. However, at my school, we also did do the weekly planning as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of similar to what you were saying. Um, I was the only instructional coach and mm-hmm. the timing was limited because I also did RTI. Right. So I would work more with the um, teams who needed my support based on yes. scores. Yeah. You know, maybe the teachers who their scores were not where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So weekly, I would plan with them as well. And it was very similar in that we would meet once a week. They had an hour planning and it would just be that full hour. Same mm-hmm. as you in the beginning it was hard because that's a hard, that's like a tough pill to swallow that, Hey guys, like you're going to have to work with this instructional coach. Cause it, it was, it's new. I was new to that yeah. position. They've never had a coach before. And, and if um, it wasn't everybody who was working with you to plan, yeah. then it's like, well, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to kind of show people with data. Absolutely. Sometimes we need to make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. It's not a reflection of, of good or bad teaching or anything like that. It's about how can we grow and we're here to figure it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, one of the things that a teacher said to me, you know, cause the scores were not good. And it was like, you know what? Well, I'm a bad teacher. I'm a bad teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, like this doesn't make you a bad teacher, but last year your teaching didn't work. And this year's a chance for you to learn from that. And we're going to do that together. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the approach I took in that I want to be hands-on with you so that we can improve this together. Um, But it went really well. It got to, just like you said, it got to where they were eager, like, okay, when can you meet? I want to go ahead and get the next two weeks milk because I feel so much better as a teacher myself. Right. So very similar um, in the setup of the weekly meetings as well. Mm-hmm. Other teams did it as well, but they were not with me present or didn't have as much of the accountability for it as some mm-hmm. of the teams that had me working with them. Right. Okay. Interesting. And yeah, sometimes we have to differentiate, you know, because that's just the reality of the time that we have or the support that we're able, able to provide or the need that your campus has. Um, whenever I started working at the school that I'm referring to, they needed a lot of support in a lot of areas. And so that's why we went that route where everybody had the support, you know, but, um, but yeah, sometimes that's not, it's not physically possible. <laughs> right. yes. So do you have some norms or expectations that were um, especially effective with those teams that you're working with? Yes. So with the teams, you know, our number one thing was having that collaborative culture. So we put a lot of emphasis on listening to your peers and letting everybody have a voice and saying kind of what they thought would be best or sharing their ideas. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the one that's sitting there feeling like they can't speak up is the one that has the best ideas. So really, you know, trying to be conscientious yourself of not dominating conversations, especially whenever we put everyone to the board level meetings, because those are all the team leaders from each school. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got the strong teachers there. So just kind of making sure you sit back and, you know, make sure you're listening. Um, We wanted everything to be timely because Mm -hmm. we always had a lot to get done with not always a lot of time to do it. Right. Kind of sticking to our agenda and our, timeframes and then being considerate with your technology. Um, We always have our phones and that's not, I mean that it is a part of life now, but just kind of being mindful and not letting it take away from you doing, playing your part in, you know, your meetings and in your planning. So. And those are your main three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are similar to our district actually had created some a while ago and they included similar things like monitor, um, min- I think it was 
limit technology use. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, if it's relevant, that's different, but limit just random technology use, take care of your needs, things like that. Um, and then as a campus, we created like more, they were more like procedures, but I guess they were also expectations about like what kinds of things we were going to bring, who was going to be responsible for what, um, those sorts of procedural expectations. And that was really helpful too. That's a good idea. Yeah. It it made, oh gosh, it was, (laughs) the evolution of our PLC was like ridiculous. And after, so at the beginning we all were like, "Mm, like, how do, how do we make this work? Because we were really literally saying, I would say something I thought was a best practice that was understood. And then people were like, we don't know what you're talking about. And then they would talk about something they had done in the past at the school. And I was like, I don't know what that is because I had never been present. So it was, it was really complicated for a while. Very challenging for us. Um, and then we also had very different ideas about best practice and what that looked like, which was difficult. Um, and so then after we, so one of the things that we started doing was because we had to get through those two weeks of plans every, every time that we met and we needed to get through them in some sort of detail. And we wanted people to show up having looked at the curriculum beforehand and not just walk in and go, so what are we learning about today? Uh, Cause that's kind of what was happening for a while. Um, we created like a routine of, of pre-planning. So one person would be responsible for just reviewing the curriculum and pulling out the essential pieces that we need to kind of think about. And then, cause if, I had been doing that at first, but like you're saying, then all the responsibility is on the coach and then teachers are just like, okay, tell me what I need to know, which is not what we want to happen, you know? Uh, and then there's no voices from the teachers there. So they, they embraced that after a while. It took a while to get there, but they would um, record important. I had like a basic little guide they'd use. They would record like important questions that we could ask, um, a little bit of, of what the assessment looked like, that sort of thing to help them be ready to kind of lead that part and facilitate that part of planning. And then they would share that with everybody once they got there. And then I would also send a little note. This is the topic of what we're you know, working with, just have that stewing in your brain and dig through your resources so you can bring them with you. And so having somebody responsible for that um, really was helpful. And in some grade levels, they actually chose to say like in reading, I'm going to bring materials for shared reading. You bring stuff for read aloud. You bring stuff for, you know, whatever different um, components we were working with Uh, in writing. I'll bring stuff for language conventions or grammar. You bring stuff for, you know, the actual piece that we're working on. And that was helpful because not one person had to drag in their whole library of stuff, you know? Um, And we were also prepared because it was, you know, we, you, you're not going to get quality plans put together when people just show up. <laughs> they just can't because then you're informing people of what they need to be thinking about at the same exact time as they're trying to put it all together to make quality plans. So that gave us the ability to do kind of like a little 15 minute mini PD at the beginning where we could introduce the topic and work through it um, instead of having to um, like teach them everything from start to finish because they didn't know what we were going to get into. That's right. just part of being a teacher. You know, you got to know what your standards are. You got to know what you're coming up on. You got to be ready. So how did you go about, this kind of leads me to the next question that I wanted to know about. How did you go about building a common language for planning with teachers or building content knowledge? Um, because that was one of my biggest challenges whenever I got started. Huge. So what are some things that you did that, that worked for you? So the biggest thing I think that's had the highest impact is the process of breaking down the standards. Mm-hmm. Um, deconstructing them to look at what is expected of each standard and the rigor of which they need to teach and assess that standard. 
and also really eliminating the false premise that every standard is meant to be taught at the highest level. Yes. So it's so easy for them to think, I need, I need a level, because we use depth of knowledge, DOK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so easy for them to think, I need a DOK level question for every standard. Mm-hmm. But you don't need that if your standard isn't meant to be hit on that level. Mm-hmm. And it might vary, maybe at a lower grade level, it's still not there yet. But in the upper grade levels, it does. So it's not hurting you to prepare them to, to reach those higher rigor. But kind of getting the conversation going of, knowing the standards, mm-hmm. um, walking them through the process of deconstructing the standards is huge because as teachers, we know our standards. And even myself, I, I knew my standards when I was in the classroom, right. but I didn't take the time to re-deconstruct them and to really dig deeper into that rigor. And then also looking back at that vertical alignment and knowing that's been a big thing that we've added in this year mm-hmm. is looking back at what did they learn the year before what are they learning the next year? Right. And so kind of having that common language of the standards and knowing the year before and the year after, kind of where they're going and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And then we've done a lot with formative instructional practices, professional learning mm-hmm. over the last couple of years in our county. So that FIP is kind of what we call it. It's the FIP. Okay. Well, um, but they've done a lot with that as well. So that's helped give us that common language as well. And so any kind of opportunities we get to provide that professional learning to have them working with it and letting them use their, anything that we do and lead them through, we make sure that they are um, using their standards, using their lessons, using their data. So kind of making it theirs. But I think through the professional learning and through the conversations together, it's helped us to have that common language. Yes, I agree with that. Um, connecting the professional learning and professional development that teachers get to the planning is so important because too, too often we do all this learning and then we go into planning and people are like, so what are we going to do? And then there's no <laughs> reference to all the stuff you just learned about, right? You're like, oh, well, we could do some of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, we could do some of the stuff you learned about maybe like we could try something, I mean, but, it, but we have to be really deliberate. Right. Yes. Um, and just like with students, we know that, that people in general do not transfer learning from one situation to another. So I can do a, 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 a professional development on read alouds every single day for three months. And I will not see read alouds happen in certain classrooms unless I say, hey, during planning, remember how we talked about this? Why don't we pull out that planning guide that we looked at and actually plan a lesson to help us do this, right? If we don't do that, then it doesn't happen. Um, that's been a, a huge, it was a huge challenge for us at first to, to really to show teachers that that professional learning has to transfer to your classroom or there's no point in us doing it. Um, and to make it relevant is important because if not, then it's never going to transfer. We spent also some time, I mentioned like a 15 minute PD at the beginning of PLC. And it was more that kind of developed over time as once I realized that the background knowledge wasn't really there in certain areas. Um, And our standards had recently changed and teachers were very unfamiliar with a lot of the new ideas that were in them. They went 
to be from being like a collection of skills. This was a long time ago. This happened <laughs> from a collection of skills to being more uh, grouped by genre. And teachers were very unfamiliar with teaching really anything outside of fiction. Um, they had some idea of like teaching informational text, but very minimally. They're like, well, I use this Scholastic News, but what do you do with it? Right. That's right. that's that's the question. And so. Um, we had to really work with teachers on understanding the characteristics of the genre and the strategies that we use when we read different things and how we apply that across content areas. So we would do a, um, one of the strategies that I recommend is kind of like a, like a five things to know about or a four things to know about strategy where you just give people main bullet points. Like if you're starting a new genre, for example, or a new strategy teachers are unfamiliar with in reading specifically, you can say, okay, these are five things you need to know about making predictions. Bam, 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 bam. It doesn't have to be really complex, but it's just something for people to talk and think about if they really hadn't done much thinking about that before. Um, you can present it in a short format. And I actually have an opt-in for any, or a, um, a download for anybody who wants to grab that in the show notes. You can grab a sample of those, of those um, four things to know about because it does help to get your planning meeting started um, in a productive way to where everybody at least has some kind of common framework to respond to. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that we did. We also did a lot of like card sort activities where teachers had to read little cards and sort them into different groups or like sequence them. And, um, kind of like you were talking about with vertical alignment, how you have, um, you know, the standard at different grade levels and teachers would have to match how they thought the standard was progressing throughout the grade levels. And that was like a nice little hands-on activity and it was quick and it got them talking. Um, and it really built that common language. That's a good one. Yeah, those are fun too. They're fun um, and they're easy to do and you can reuse them. So <laughs> those are always nice to have. So this is probably the biggest thing that we need to know is, can you walk us through a general process that you follow for developing curriculum? Yes. So um, when we are going through the process, this is, so again, this year we are redeveloping new curriculum. So this is kind of a, if you're starting from scratch, because that's kind of how we treated it. Mm -hmm. So this is good for those who are like, okay, we, something's got to give, we need a, a fresh start because that's where we were as a system. Mm -hmm. So the step one that we followed was doing a standards breakdown, deconstructing standards. Um, each quarter that you came to us, you had like, you looked at your pacing guide. That was the previous one. Mm -hmm. The first thing you did was we, you reflected on it. Okay. what's working, what's not, talk about it, what standards are you maybe struggling to cover because of where they are, which standards maybe do you feel like should be taught earlier in the year to help with other things. Mm -hmm. So step one was to kind of reflect on what we have. Mm -hmm. Then to kind of, once you've got that done, take the standards for each quarter that you're planning on teaching and deconstruct them that meeting. So first meeting, Q1, took the standards that you're planning on teaching deconstruct those standards not and it can be as the process can be as long as you want it to be it can be right. as simple as you look through it look for those verbs kind of analyze it or you can actually complete like a deconstructing standards mm -hmm. sheet for each one mm -hmm. so it just kind of depends on where you are and what you want we had we kind of gave them the option on that okay but we expected to see notes like we wanted to kind of see what they were doing okay and because we were a part of the conversations you know, we kind of could hear. 
And did you, whenever you're deconstructing the standard, would you look at an assessment at that point as well to understand what it looks like that when it's assessed or did that come at a different point? Not yet. That was, okay. So that's actually our next. So step one was the standards okay. and deconstructing, getting them. Step two, or and with that, looking at the rigor, step mm -hmm. two was then to look at assessments. Okay. So at our, in our system, we already had assessments made and we gave the option to pull from that or if they just kind of wanted to start fresh mm -hmm. again because a lot of the assessments were made from teachers who were there years ago okay. and we've just been using them yes yeah that happens yeah, yes. happens. yeah so it's crazy everybody's so stressed all the time that sometimes it's like undertaking a project to update things can feel overwhelming if you don't have like a team working on it yes but yeah then we run into like you're saying some archaic stuff Oh my goodness. And feel like afraid that you can't make those changes. Oh yeah. Like these are the benchmarks that we're using. They made them at the board office. We have to use them. Right. It's Even though they're terrible. <laughs> yes. And so goodness, I'm telling you, moving to that elementary school, I went to our curriculum director and was like, okay, we, there are some things that we've got to update. Yes. Like some of our, um, we have milestones now, the GMAS, mm -hmm. some of our benchmark, our pacing guide still said CRCT which was our old test that we oh, quit man. using like five, six years ago. That's crazy. So, so we've got to, we've got to update this. Like it yeah. cannot, you cannot, that's embarrassing. You have a new teacher come on and oh, yeah, just like, ignore that. Just ignore that test. That's Quite the, it out. <laughs> these aren't old pacing guides at all. <laughs> that is nuts. Wow. How often do your standards, I know this is off topic, but how often do your standards change? Uh, they've changed. So I've been in education for 12 years and mm -hmm. they've changed mm, three times. I think since I've been in, we mm -hmm. started with GPS, then we switched to common core. And now Georgia has their own standards, which mm -hmm. are the Georgia standards of excellence, but they're common core. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like, yeah. It anybody teaches in Georgia can vouch that. Okay. Yeah, with the new name to eliminate the uproar. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I was assuming. That's what happens. They put a bandaid yes. on it and say it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's in Texas. We have, well, we always have the teaks always, <laughs> always we've had them and always probably will. Um, but they change every seven years, they get updated and revised. Mm -hmm. And with that, the assessment also changes. So like when I, you know, whenever I was a student, we had the toss and then we have the tax whenever I was a new teacher. And then whenever I became a coach, we had the star. And so the assessment, the TEKS recently changed again a year ago. So we're expecting a new version of the star to come out to reflect the new changes. So I guess that's why I'm like, how on, I've, I don't even know how you would use an old pacing guide because you've got totally different stuff to teach. Yes. Yeah. Um, we are actually Georgia is in the process right now of updating standards. Okay. They're starting with math and they're supposed to roll that out again we, with all the crazy we don't know, but they're supposed to roll that out within the next year for us to see but not start using yet. Okay. And then yeah. they're working on ELA next. So we're joining the new standards soon. Okay, that's great. And that's good that you're doing this in preparation of that because you'll have a procedure for how to respond to new standards, you know, yeah. like how to work around new pacing guides and stuff like that. Yes. That's good. So um, back with the process. So we started with a standard breakdown. Then we move into kind of just double checking the curriculum map, making sure it aligns. Mm -hmm. Then we build our assessments next, kind of looking at that backward design component and build the assessments mm -hmm. and making sure the rigor of the assessments matches the standards. 
the rigor that they're supposed to reach. Right. And then from there, we then will build our lessons after that. So kind of, we've got our assessments in place. We know the rigor of the questions on the assessment. And then we need to make sure our lessons also match that rigor as well. Right. So it's kind of that being very intentional in every step of the process. Mm -hmm. Do you then, have, this is just a bonus. Do you have like um, a consistent lesson plan across your, your county or anything like that? No, we actually don't. Um, our teachers, some schools didn't even require lesson plans for the mm -hmm. longest time. Yeah. Me, I got lucky, or I say lucky, I did my own lesson plans, I obviously, you mean. Yeah. but I didn't I have to turn in like a weekly lesson plan. Um, I was kind of given that freedom, but now it is a county requirement to turn in lesson plans, Okay, but there's not a set template. We have, um, we call them dirty sheets. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, a, that would have been what I would have needed as a, like, just here's a layout of what I'm doing, because it's probably mm -hmm. going to change the day before um, yeah, you respond right to what you yeah. see your kids need. Yes. And, yeah. And so our, um, our teachers who have experience and who, you know, you can trust that you're going in and seeing what they need to be doing, kind of do the dirty sheets. And then like our new teachers or maybe teachers who are on professional learning plans or ones that I'm working with mm -hmm. will have to do a little bit more of a detailed lesson plan. Okay. And, they have, and so there is a, a, a template for that that they use within the school, but it's not a countywide thing. That's okay. more each school. Maybe because we are a unionized state, <laughs> we had to be pretty equitable. So if we expect something from one teacher, we pretty much expect it from everybody. So maybe that's like it's consistent across the board that teachers turn in lesson plans. Um, but it is what that plan looks like is usually a little bit different for grade levels. They can like on our campus anyway, they could create a lesson plan that they liked, you know, or I provided a format and if they made adjustments, as long as it included the basics, that was fine. It wasn't mostly I wanted them to have like a purpose for each lesson, you know, what standard they were covering and then just a procedure. Like, what are you going to do? Like, let's think through it. What is this going to look like? Cause sometimes the lesson plans I could tell were, um, we're going to read this. And we're going to think about it. <laughs> like that's it. And that, what does that even mean? You know, so you have to be a little more specific and what strategy are you going to use? That kind of thing. But it, it didn't need to be, uh, some plans are like a hundred thousand pages long and they have, yeah. what materials are you going to use? And what are, you know, what is your essential question and your guiding questions and your this question. And then, you know, I mean, it's just so much stuff that gets in the way, I think. And teachers can't even use, think about what you can keep in your working memory when you're teaching a lesson. You yeah. can't keep all that stuff in there. You have to keep it simple. So if it's something that you want teachers to really use, it has to be purposeful, I think. Yes. Eliminating those hoops. Yeah. To say you have it. Oh, you know, our lesson plans have X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't need that. So kind right. of eliminating the parts that they're, they're going to just copy paste it every week anyway, because it means nothing to them. Sometimes, so yeah. That I agree with that. Like keep it meaningful. Right. And that's, if it's important enough you, there are sometimes things that you can think about while you're planning a lesson that you don't need to put in your plan. So if you're able to facilitate a lesson planning session, you can have them think through things and they don't need to go in the plan necessarily, but you're thoughtful. Like you're talking about rigor. You don't necessarily have to put the level of rigor and a description of that on there. If your lesson reflects that rigor, you should be able to see it in the classroom happening that it does reflect that, that level. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So then you mentioned a little bit about how you use assessments in your curric curriculum development that you have. Um, one of the steps is about designing or looking at these assessments, right? And making sure that the lesson matches the level of rigor in terms of the standard and the assessment. Is there any other way that you use those um, assessments as tools for de developing curriculum? Oh, absolutely. So right now, like I said, we are doing the beginning parts of creation, but then what we would do is we'll look at the data from those assessments mm -hmm. afterward in determining kind of moving forward from here, what standards were mastered, which ones do we need to make sure we provide extra with, and then which do we probably need to just reteach. Yeah. Um, or looking at the grouping, we definitely use that data for, we do a lot of tiered instruction. So mm -hmm. kind of tiering of the levels and that data will be very helpful in that as well. That's great. And do you do that as part of your, um, like part of your planning session or is looking at that at a, are you do look at that at a different time and then refer back to it during planning? We do most of it would be at my school, like in my team of planning meetings. Like when I'm mm -hmm. sitting down with them, we look at the data there more so and reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And then as a whole group, we talk about it collectively to see if as a whole, are there standards that maybe your students are mastering that mine are not and kind of okay. knowing to share resources that way. Yes. So more in the school is more in developing where to go from here. At the board level, it's more, okay, well, let's share. What are you using? Like your kids did right. really well on that. How, what did you teach with? What resources or what? What did you um, say? What did you do? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, so it's collaborative. It's really an actual PLC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, that's awesome. So then did you have a handful of strategies that your teachers come back to over and over again? Like things that were like landmarks in your instruction or that you could, I, I, I'm asking this because I know that once we had a common language and teachers had certain strategies they were comfortable with, I was able to refer back to those and say, so the strategy we use to teach drama, we can apply it here. Like instead of reinventing the wheel every time and trying to start over and figure out how can we engage kids? Well, we have some good ideas about how we can do that, you know? So were there some strategies that you found yourself using over and over again during planning? We are huge on grouping at mm -hmm. my school doing a lot of doing a mini lesson in the beginning and then breaking out into differentiated groups mm -hmm. and the teacher kind of working with a different group at a time. Mm -hmm. Or if there's like a, you know, a special education teacher or a para support in there, they kind of have a group. So we do a lot with the tiered instruction, which I kind of mentioned and, you know, kind of grouping and meeting the kids where they are in their groups. So that we call them the DI groups, which is differentiated instruction. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but we do a lot with that. And then I would say vocabulary. We took on a big um, push for vocabulary in our school last year. So we kind of called ourselves a vocabulary factory. And it kind of like what you were saying earlier is we shared some strategies in a PL and then okay. we checked their lesson plans for the use of some of those strategies okay. at least, you know, once a week or twice a week. Yeah, that's great. It's just a way to make sure that we're integrating them, that they're actually trying things out. Yes. That's yes. great. Um, so have you struggled with teachers actually using the plans that you create together? Like, has that been an issue that you've had to work through? Because I know it was an issue that I had to work through. <laughs> I, it was definitely an issue. I think, especially in years past, okay. I think this year we've finally breached the buy-in yeah. level because they see the value in it. And a lot of it's because it's things that they're actually creating and they've got to have a lot more say in what they're yes. doing. And so it's really helped them to value the data and the lessons and, and what they're doing a lot more. Mm -hmm. And kind of like we said earlier in the beginning, 
you know, meeting with those teachers was a little bit of a struggle because it was like, why? Like, what are we doing? Right. But now it's where if we can't meet, they're like, oh, can we reschedule for this date? Like, right. I know you're busy on this day, but we want you there. Like, can we, can we plan? So it was definitely, um, it took getting past that in the beginning mm -hmm. of here we are. And then I think literally them having that ownership has really helped with the buy-in. That's great. So now, not so much, but definitely in the past. Yeah. Yeah, we would have, um, usually we'd have the majority of the team would's like, okay, we made these plans and we're going to use them. And then we'd have like one or two holdouts, you know, <laughs> so you'd go in the, like in, into classrooms, you'd visit and you could see, I would visit classrooms to make sure that the plans that we were creating are actually working, right? Because if people, if they're not useful, then what we need to change what we're doing. And so I would visit classrooms and I could see things in action. And then I go to another classroom and I'm like, whoa, this is like, oh. <laughs> Whole different school over here. Um, so <laughs> that would happen on occasion. And a lot of the times it was like, you're saying buy-in. It was more about, um, it was about buy-in. Absolutely. But it was about buy-in in like philosophy of how kids learn. Yes. So we were trying to move towards authentic instruction and, and like you're saying, differentiated small groups and things like that. And there were certain individuals that were still like, no, they need to sit and they need to read and they need to mark their evidence and they need to answer the question. And, you know, I'm going to tell them this and they're going to do this. And sometimes I think they, they struggle to envision a different way. So we spent a lot of time in having them observe other classes or model lessons in there. Um, but Sometimes it's, it's a matter of people like, I mean, they do dig their heels in because trying something new is scary. And if you feel like that's going to cause you to fail, you're, you don't want to do it, right? Um, so sometimes it does take a while. And if that's a problem, listener, that you're struggling with, you are not alone. Um, teachers frequently will sit in a room and make imaginary plans and then go back and do what they would <laughs> like to do. Um, but it's, I think it's about, like you're saying, persistence, you know, sticking to it and making sure that they have a voice in those plans. Um, I think one of the things that used to frustrate me the most is when we would like go a different direction in the plans than what some people wanted because we were trying to accommodate for one of those teachers who yes. had not been doing the plans. And then that teacher didn't do the thing that they yes. suggested to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, what? This was your idea. Why, why did you? what are you, you're not even doing it. So that used to make me a little bit crazy. Um, but, but stick to it. That's all. <laughs> that's my best yeah. advice. Stick I think another it. thing, um, that I ran into along with the people who the philosophy, but there's also the lack of confidence in mm -hmm. trying the new things Yes, and that fear of failure, or they try it once and it flops and they never yeah. want to do it again. That's very and true. So that's been a big thing. And even this year, like, you know, the struggle, there's obviously there's still going to be like you said every now and then that one that you go in and you're like what did I just walk into <laughs> and so you've got that and I think for me in my experience a lot of that also goes back to that confidence and the you know you plan with them but then they get in that moment and it's like it's gone like all of that like yeah I can do this and I'm gonna right. yeah <laughs> and then, you know in front of the classroom it's they lose it. It's not any fault of their own. It's literally just that lack of confidence, that fear of the failure and the kids seeing it. Yeah. So I think I've had that experience. And there's been a couple of cases where I've gone in and, and worked with them and we've sat down and planned and then I would record them doing that lesson. And then we would reflect on it. So then the next class period, 
they'd be able to kind of fix those things or the next day. It might, it depends on the time of day that I'd go in, but you know, having to work around that too. So there were still several moments of, all right, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's rethink, right. you know, we, we said we want to do this and we still want to do it, but maybe the process needs to look a little different for you. Right. So kind of know that you can still go back to that board and start fresh. Right. Yes. I think that's a good point. And providing that classroom support to help them roll out something new is so important um, because people cannot see things in action if they've never seen it that way before. And you think about a lot of classrooms, those teachers are so isolated. And depending on the culture of the school, they may not have seen other teachers teach ever. So in Texas, you can be, you know, you can go through the program to be and become have your your degree actually be in interdisciplinary studies in education and then you are certified as a teacher in which point you've already had a like an internship or a student teaching opportunity so you've at least seen a couple people teach but you can also be alternatively certified and they do go visit classrooms but it's not like an extended um stay like you're not in there for a long time and let's face it if you have a mentor teacher whose favorite resource is like the tech test practice booklet, then mm-hmm. you may not have seen that much, you know, that much great teaching. And so Absolutely. depends on where you're placed. So that's, if, if teachers, I mean, they could have taught for 10 years and never seen another teacher teach, right. which is terrible, right? We were failing teachers when we do that. So, um, that is something that we have to consider is they may not have any vision of what things could look like in a different way in their classroom. And if you can't picture something different, you certainly don't think it'll work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to start out. If you've spent your whole career giving kids a passage every day and sitting them in a chair and not using manipulatives and not doing science investigations and, you know, using your, your copies that, that look like they came from, you know, the Xerox whenever I was in school, right? <laughs> um, it's hard to imagine teaching with an authentic text or using manipulatives or getting kids up and moving and finding partners and working in groups. That's a really huge shift. And so we have to help people see what that looks like in classrooms with real children. And that means that we have to get into those classrooms um, and actually you know, walk alongside them and say, let's try it out. And let's, let's try to integrate something different today. Um, sometimes, you know, I remember I was working with a teacher once and I felt like this person was just pushing back on, on everything that we were working on as a team, as a grade level. And then later they actually asked me to come in and model something. He said, you know, I feel like what I do works, but I wouldn't mind trying something that you've been talking about. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't the idea, the sense that I was getting at all. So I'm glad. (laughs) And so I modeled a lesson and, and he was like, oh, that's, I didn't, I didn't picture, I didn't think that's what we were talking about at all. So that was was actually a very positive experience. So without actually going in that classroom, I never would have had that opportunity. He wouldn't have been able to say, can you show me what this looks like? You know? Um, So what is, the number one takeaway that you want people to walk away with from this conversation, if they only remember one thing that you said. Cool. I think that I would say that at the end of the day with the collaborative planning, the culture matters most. You've got to set that collaborative planning, working together culture for anything else to work. Because if you don't have that, then everything you're doing is in vain. And you're going to have a lot of people who are there doing the fake planning and, oh, yeah, 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 and then walking away and not ever following through with anything. Mm -hmm. So I really think that the culture is the number one starting point. That is such a good point. Or you have people show up and not say anything. 
Yes. Right. So real, I know that you already said your takeaway, but then I have another follow-up question. <laughs> so what do, how do you build that? Um, it is a, it's a slow progress mm -hmm. kind of a thing where you've got to first build the trust within your teams. I would start by doing, um, any kind of breakdowns together, data analysis together, having almost a open, what's the word I'm looking for? Like dialogue? Platform. Oh, so okay. that, yes. Dialogue's good. Yes. <laughs> uh, for them to be able just to share and you're going to have to be willing to share yourself. You're going to have to kind of, like you said, those who don't want to speak have ways for everyone to kind of be a part of it. So maybe have an activity where everybody's going to have to share, mm -hmm. kind of build up a space that is safe right. first before you open the floor to everyone, maybe. Yeah. So kind of, it's got to be intentional and you've got to go into it with the um, mindset of everybody is going to be a part of this. I like that. You know, even starting with partner dialogue, you know, sharing something with a partner. If you feel like people are not comfortable sharing with their whole group, I think that's such a good point. Um, and, and being vulnerable yourself and showing when you make mistakes and being honest about that, all of those things can be really helpful towards getting people to contribute to that, that community, that sense of the, the C part of the PLC. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. I love that one. So where can people find you online to learn more? So, um, Crystal Cherisani, you can find me at thesparklynotebook.com is my website. It's being revamped. So just know that it'll be changing soon. <laughs> and then you can find me on Instagram at the sparkly notebook. That's my handle. Okay. I have a group on Facebook. That's the instructional coaches on call. So you can go in there and you know, become a part of that. That's awesome. Or you can just email me at the sparkly notebook at gmail.com. I'm easy to get in touch with. <laughs> and I love, I love getting to help. Like anything I can do. I love it. That's so. great. Well, people might take you up on that. So, <laughs> so coaches, make sure you head to um, buzzingwithmissb.com. Episode 32 is what you're looking for to get that download that I mentioned about the um, four things to know about that planning guide that will help you prepare teachers at the beginning of a, of a planning collaborative planning session. And then definitely check out um, Crystal at the Sparkly Notebook in various uh, social medias. <laughs> so uh, until next week, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.